Hi, welcome to Evidence for Faith. Oh, I am so glad you're joining me today. It is a beautiful spring day outside, though I'm here in the studio. It's a nice 74 in here. And we are having a wonderful time uh, going through this series on why are there so many different translations? What's the purpose? If the Word of God is the Word of God, why do we have so many different versions of it? And as we've been looking at these different versions, we're on the 12th one today. This one is called the Living Bible. The Living Bible. So let's start with this Bible. Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you owned a copy of it. And um, if you're my age, you probably have heard about it. Uh, if you're a Christian back in in your teens and stuff. But we'll take a look at the Living Bible and what this is all about. Why was this made? What what type of translation is this? What's the pros and cons of it? But as we start with all these lessons, we're beginning with Psalm 23. As we read Psalm 23, a very familiar Psalm. As we take a look at it in the different translations, we can compare it that way. And so here, this is how the, the Living Bible records Psalm 23. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. He lets me rest in the meadow grass and leads me beside the quiet streams. He gives me new strength. He helps me to do what honors him the most. Even when walking through the dark valley of death, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me, guarding me, guiding me all the way. You provide delicious food for me in the presence of my enemies. You have welcomed me as your guest. Blessings overflow. Your goodness and unfailing kindness shall be with me all of my life, and afterwards I will live with you forever in your home. So that is Psalm 23 out of the Living Bible. Now, when was this Living Bible made? Well, it, it's got a fascinating, just a remarkable story of how this thing was first made. The first publications, the first books of this Bible were the New Testament books, and they were made in 1968. Um, eventually, the whole Bible was then put together and published in 1971. And what is really interesting, it and very, what appeals to many people about this translation, or this, it's actually a paraphrase we're going to get into, its readability is so low. It's a grade six. So upper elementary, middle school, high school, adults, most people can understand this. It's a very easy to understand um, American paraphrase that we have. Now, as I said, it's type of translation. It's not a translation. This is a paraphrase. Again, I'm going to repeat, it is not a translation. What it is, it's a thought-for-thought -thought commentary containing the doctrine of a single individual. In this case, his name is Kenneth, uh, Kenneth Taylor. Kenneth Taylor, um, it's his commentary, basically, on the Bible. Thus, it is going to be a slanted version of the Bible. It's not a translation. It's a parable or par uh, paraphrase. Now, what was the purpose? Why did Kenneth Taylor feel that we needed to have another Bible? This is where this really gets interesting. You see, back in the 1960s, um, Kenneth Taylor, he was married and had kids, and what he and his wife would do in the evenings is he would read 
the Bible to them, but his kids, they were reading like King James, and sometimes he would use the excellent Revised Standard Version And in the early 60s. And then afterwards, they would ask their kids questions, but their kids could seldom answer the questions. They just didn't understand the chapters. He would usually read a chapter a, a night as they were going to bed and then ask them questions. And they just couldn't understand a lot of times, which sort of frustrated him as a parent. Um, so he wrote this. He, he put together the Living Bible so that his kids in particular, but then he was persuaded that other people, other teens and stuff, would be able to use this to understand the Bible. That was his purpose of putting this thing together. No, it wasn't a work of the devil, as some people have claimed it over the years. It was simply him putting together, um, taking a Bible and making it easy for his kids to understand and for others to understand. He did the New Testament books first, and each, each book came out. He called it Living Letters. And then eventually, when he finished all of the New Testament, had these living letters, he was persuaded to go ahead and he felt like he just do the whole Bible. So he did it and he called it the Living Bible. And he finished it in 1971. And um, that's how he did it. Now, how was he translating this? How was this done? Again, this is a fascinating story. Uh, this this is really a, a cool, interesting. I, I don't know if there's a YouTube on this, but this would be a, a great one for some church even or something like that or some school group christian school to act out how this was all being done you see as i said uh, taylor and his wife would read to their children nightly out of the king james or the revised standard version but as i said they couldn't answer questions they didn't understand what was being what they were reading these children just couldn't get it now he was working he had many different jobs he graduated from wheaton college. He went to Dallas Theological Seminary. He, he eventually works at uh, Moody Bible Institute. And um, while he was working at Moody, this is what was going on. He was trying to read passages to his, his kids, and they weren't understanding it. So he had a commute. He lived in the suburbs. Um, I think I might be wrong here. I think he lived somewhere around Carroll Stream on the eastern suburbs of Chicago. But he, he rode the train uh, to work. And so he had this commute back and forth. And so it was while he was on this commute, he decided to take his American Standard Version. Now, this is a 1901. We've mentioned this before. It's, it's a very good translation from 1901. It's in public domain. You can download free copies of it. Many times you buy Bible software, uh, you get a copy of the American Standard 1901 version. So he took this Bible and using a notebook, he would read um, a chapter and he would write it down verse by verse what the verse was saying, in his opinion, of course, but he's writing it down, these verses, uh, so that his children would be able to understand it. So his whole purpose, you see, in doing this was he was doing something for his kids. So that uh, the first night he did this, in fact, when he came home and he read the, that chapter that night, what he was doing, his kids all understood they could answer all the questions. He thought, wow, this is great. So he continued and he just kept continuing doing this. And he started completing these things and uh, tried to get them published then. And he eventually completed the whole New Testament first. Like I said, they were called the Living Letters. And I have lost my copies. I had copies of these. Um, these individual books, um, and I, I no longer have, I wish I did, but I don't know whatever happened to them. But it was so well received by not just his children, 
but by others, friends of his and others who came across this and saw it. And eventually it got into the hands of Billy Graham, uh, the great evangelist that traveled across uh, the country and the world. Billy Graham came across this, saw what this was, how easy this paraphrase was to, uh, uh, to understand as you read the Bible, and he promoted it in his, in his uh, crusades. As a matter of fact, I became a Christian at a Billy Graham crusade, and I, as far back as I can remember, I was in eighth grade, but I do believe this is where I came across living letters, and I started with those. And I loved it because at that time I'd been using like King James or Revised Standard myself. This was so easy to understand. It was like fun to read. And because of Billy Graham promoting this and also Campus Life uh, Ministries, they did it. And Youth for Christ, they picked this up. And they were like, um, everybody was started using this. And for teens in particular, uh, young people, because it was so easy to understand. Um, this caused Taylor to really uh, get down and finish the whole Bible. And when he did, he called it the Living Bible. It was very well known just by the look at it because it had a green padded soft cover. And I still have, my wife still has hers from when she was a teenager of that, um, that exact Bible. And it was called the Living Bible. That's how it came to be. And the thing is, it became an instant bestseller. We'll get more into that a little bit later on. So what's the unique features? Why did this thing, you know, get uh, such a large following? Like I myself, I, I have um, two copies uh, of mine that I have. And why do I, uh, I still read it today, to be honest with you. Why do I uh, and other people got so into this? Well, the most unique feature of this paraphrase, and I emphasize again, it's a paraphrase, is it is so easy to read. And unlike the message, which has come out you know, here in the 2000s, and it too is a paraphrase by Peterson, and we've already had this in a lesson. You can look it up in one of our prior um, podcasts if you haven't heard it already. Um, P Peterson takes a lot of liberty. I mean, he really does. He takes a lot of liberty with what, um, into the slang and stuff of the culture to uh, make his, his um, the message Bible, um, just the way he put it together. Where on the other hand, Kenneth Taylor tried to stay as true to the American uh, standard version, 1901, as he could. He's just trying to make it easier for his kids to understand. So because of its, its readability, it became so, so popular. After he published it in 1971, The Living Bible, he got this idea to publish another version of it, and it was called The Way. And that's what I have sitting here right in front of me. I have The Way. The Way is a paperback. It came out only in paperback. It has, um, it came both in a green and in a blue cover, but it's a paperback. And on the cover of, of The Way is a, a teen uh, girl and a teen guy in, in the picture there. And it says The Living Bible Illustrated. And um, so he made The Way. Now, this was in 1972. The Way was so interesting because this Bible was the had a first. It was the first to include sociopolitical commentaries and contemporary illustrations produced from, he got from uh, Youth for Christ and, and others. Put these illustrations of teens and stuff in this. Ordinary teens doing different things, sitting on the street, um, at a car show, um, 
outside of a store, sitting on a fountain and stuff like this. That's how he began each one of the books. At the beginning of each book, he has this little commentary um, that he put together with photo, uh, a photograph uh, pertaining to that book that you're about to read. This really caught on. It had an appeal that nobody had ever done this before, and it really caught on. The Way was a teen Bible for high school and college in particular, though many adults also got hold of it. And as I said, it was a green cover, The Way. There's also a blue color, uh, blue color, uh, colored cover, which was the Catholic version. He made a Catholic version as well, um, and he gave it a blue one so you could identify it very easily just you know, at a distance by the color of the cover. He also made, um, they started publishing another one. It was a psychedelic Bible, as it was called. These were used often in street ministers um, in big cities and stuff like this and um, street witnessing. And I myself, when I was in high school, I used to street witness. And I had these, I, I would buy many of these in gospel tracts and things. And I used to go out and witness not just in on streets, but in my high school, I went to a very huge high school. I considered a, a, a mission field, and I would hand out Bibles and tracts and Jesus stickers and many, many um, very popular, uh, like Jesus freaks, if you will, uh, Arthur Blessed, Sammy Tippett, and, and other very popular uh, evangelists of the time. They were using these psychedelic Bibles. What a psychedelic Bible was, the cover just had a a lot of bizarre colors on it. That's all it was. But because of the bizarre colors, now remember, this is in the 60s and the 70s. And that, and the way that people um, dressed and the way that the culture was with the teens, colors like this uh, appealed to them. And that's why they did this. So um, I have lost, I don't, I no longer have and own a, a psychedelic Bible, but I do have two of the green, the ways. Um, another unique feature about this translation, or I should say this paraphrase, it was one of the best-selling Bibles when it appeared on the market. When this thing hit and got promoted, it just went absolutely crazy. They could not, stores in the Chicago area could not keep them on the shelves. They were gone within just days. As soon as shipments would come in, they were bought up so fast. And as I say, it was marketed also as another feature, marketed in many, many ways to appeal to many non-Christian um, people with a non-Christian worldview. It was an attractive and different type of Bible. It, it just stood out from the cover alone. So there are some problems, though, of course, when you're dealing with a paraphrase like this. And the first one is just that it that is what it is. It is a paraphrase. It's not a translation. And um, it, 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 was, it was accepted, and evangelical youth in particular really embraced it, but it's not a Bible. I can tell you stories about how when I was a teenager, walking into and visiting a church I'd never been to before, walking into the foyer of the church, um, carrying in the way, my paperback green one, and I was stopped at the door and told by someone, um, some usher or something, Politely, they said, would you mind taking that book and putting it back in your car? Um, we don't allow those in here. We have real Bibles um, on uh, at the pews. And I just found that very interesting. And I've had pastors um, when I was a teenager that would say that you shouldn't read this because it's not a true Bible. It's a paraphrase. I knew it was a paraphrase. Um, but even to this day, I still like reading this thing. It's it's a fascinating um, Bible. Uh, it's a paraphrase, though. 
And the other problem with it, because of this paraphrase, it's Taylor, Kenneth Taylor's interpretation of the, uh, the American Standard 1901 version of the Bible. So his theology, his bias are going to come out in this. I do know that in some cases, um, Arminian churches uh, really um, embraced it, where some Calvinistic churches did not. And that just was sort of strange that that kind of thing happened. But it's definitely uh, Taylor's interpretation of, of theology. Now, as we've been doing in all these studies, we've been looking at different um, uh, looking at passages like Titus chapter 2, 11 through 13, which is a strong doctrinal statement. And we're going to take a look at how this one reads also in the Living Bible. So this is Titus 2, 11 through 13, and it reads thus. For the free gift of eternal salvation is now being offered to everyone. And along with this gift comes the realization that God wants us to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures and to live good, God-fearing lives day after day. Looking forward to that wonderful time we've been expecting when his glory shall be seen, the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, you're going to notice if you've been listening to these podcasts with other translations and things that we've read, this doctrinally, this is pretty sound. Um, it's, it's taking some words around and making some changes to make it read, readable and understandable to young people. That's what this is. And it's I like how it's so flowing and stuff. So just a couple of additional comments here as we um, approach the, the end of this session here. But I got to tell you, the Living Bible, when it came out, was, are you ready for this? It was the best-selling book, book, not just Bible, book, in America in the years 1972 to 1974. It outsold everything. Um, Taylor couldn't print them fast enough. And he was just trying to get it published. As I said, he tried, he, his whole purpose was to make something for his kids. But his friends and others who came across these things said, boy, you should put this out there. People will want to read this. And from what I remember hearing um, and actually listening to a tape on this um, years ago, Taylor went to some of the publishing companies. He worked for Moody, but Moody was not interested in publishing a paraphrase. That was not real popular. Um, so they would not do it. And he went to other Christian publishing companies. He sent manuscripts of these and nobody was really interested. So what he ended up doing, because some of his friends and others were saying, you know, you should put this out, you should put this out. He actually put a printing press, bought an old simple printing press and put it down in his basement of his house. And he started printing it there. And um, it, it caught on and he, he was making them as fast as he could. Um, he was printing in some cases, like um, when The Way came out in July of 1972, he printed first off a quarter of a million, 250,000 copies. And within a month or two, they were all gone. And he was getting demands for more. So he printed another quarter of a million. Um, and just in another month, they were gone. And so there were four printings just in the, the last half of 1972. He, he produced over a million copies of this. And he could not keep up. He eventually moved out of his basement, the publishing 
um, facility into a, he rented a small little apartment and he put it into a little tiny, tiny brick apartment on the first level and just a small little place. And he printed stuff there. Now he gave this printing company a name um, as he was going along. And so as he did this, um, thus was born Tyndall Publishing House. Um, started in his basement. Today, if you know anything about, if you read a lot of Christian books and stuff, you will recognize the name Tyndall Publishing House. It is one of the largest Christian publishing companies in existence in the world. This place is huge. And starting off in a basement is how it started. But it, it's so interesting. He just could not believe how popular this thing became. And so he started producing more things. And, and then he started producing more books. Uh, Tyndall Publishing has produced so many best-selling Christian books. And they still do. They uh, are in a large facility today. I think it's in Carroll Stream. But anyway, the large publishing house today. And that is, I, I just find this whole story so fascinating. But it is definitely a paraphrase. And because of that, I do not recommend this as being a primary study Bible. No, um, like I would not do that with the message either or Philip's um, version. These are paraphrases, but um, they can, I think they're useful. I'll be totally honest with you. Um, when I was in high school and I got my first copy of the way and I started reading it, I sort of um, didn't toss aside, but I set aside in the morning when I would read my Bible, um, and I would get up in the morning instead of reading my King James or Revised Standard, I would start reading the way when I woke up in the morning, first thing. I mean, just the moment you wake up, I get, walk across, I sit down, and I pick up my living Bible. I still do that to this day. That was when I was in high school. I still do the same thing today. The first thing I do when I get up in the morning uh, I walk over, I sit down, I pick up the way, and I pick up where my bookmark is, and then I read another section of the thing, and that's how I wake up until my mind starts going, and then I, I wake up, so I'm sort of filling my mind with the Word of God just to get my day started. Then I go and I take a shower, get all cleaned up and stuff, and then I go back and, um, and during breakfast or right after breakfast or before breakfast, I'll have my serious Bible study. But it's not a primary study Bible. I read it, but I am totally aware when I'm reading this and I see something that's really cool or something maybe I didn't notice before. I mean, I've been reading this thing for over, I don't know how many years, 50 years. Um, I've been reading it every single day. Uh, I mean, I missed maybe you know a couple of days in there, but this is how I start my day. And I see something and I'm like, oh, yes, I got to remember that this is a paraphrase, not it's it's. Taylor's commentary, if you will. So I don't recommend it as a primary Bible study, but it is one to get, you know, an idea. If you got some difficult verse, you can take a look at this or a difficult passage. And if, if you want to know what Taylor's opinion is of the Word of God, this is what it is. That's what this paraphrase is. The, um, this Bible, though, has been thoroughly attacked, as I told you earlier, by some mainstream Christian denominations. They really, really... In some cases, they wouldn't even allow it in the, in the church building um, when it was published. But it was never intended. Taylor never intended this to take the place of a real translation. It was something for kids to get them interested and to help them understand the Bible so that they would seek deeper. That's what its purpose was. So in using it in that purpose, I think it's a great Bible. Like I say, still use it to this day.
Well, that's the Living Bible. I hope you enjoyed our lesson today. I know it went a little bit longer than I normally do, but this one has just got such an interesting history as opposed to some of the others. And in our next lesson, you're going to see what happens um, because of the success of the Living Bible, um, uh, the um, Tyndall Publishing, we're going to talk about it again in the next lesson, goes on and makes a real translation because this was so popular. But we'll get into that one later. If you're knowing what it is, it's the New Living Translation. But we'll get to the NLT in the next lesson. So thanks so much for joining. I hope you have a great day. May God bless you. Until we meet again, take care. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. And thank you to our donors who make this program possible. You can help us produce the next course by becoming a donor at evidenceforfaith.org give or use the links in the description. Don't forget to leave a comment, a review, likes, and shares to feed the algorithm and help others find this content. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode.